everyone. It's great to see you. Um, I want to share something with you real quick before we kind of get started here. Um, the, tonight, we are going... Well, let me start. <laughs> I got ahead of myself here. Uh, in October 16, on October 16th, we're going to kick off a church-wide campaign. Many of you are familiar with when we do a campaign. It's, we ask everybody to uh, kind of go... Or, Join with us uh, in where we're st- what we're studying, and you know everybody's studying the same thing in our small groups and things like that. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a church life campaign, our church wide campaign called uh, "The Me I Want to Be," and it's based. How many of you heard that book by John Ortberg, "The Me I Want to Be"? How many of you ever heard of John Ortberg? How many? There we go. Okay, just a few. All right. Um, we, John Ortberg is a great communicator. He's a, uh, well, anyhow, he's just a great communicator. Uh, he wrote a book called The Me I Want to Be, and um, essentially it talks about being, becoming the version that God want us, wants us to be, the, the version that he's created each of us to be. And so this is a really great book. Uh, we're going to be, like I said, October 16th, we'll kick off that campaign. But we're going to have a meeting tonight, and I've emailed life group leaders, staff, elders, all that stuff. We've already had that conversation with those guys. But I thought, you know what? It might be fitting for some of you, maybe sitting here this morning, you may be thinking, you know what, I want to get plugged into a life group, or you know what, I wouldn't mind possibly even facilitating a group. This Tonight would be a night you could come at 6 o'clock at this campus and get a bunch of details. This meeting is for you people that love details. Uh, Jim Stutzman on staff is a detail-oriented person. I will come in with a big idea and be excited about it, and Jim will start grilling me with little details and burst my bubble. And so this meeting is a response to Jim Stutzman, <laughs> in a sense. Not, but anyhow, what we'll do is just really go like a thorough walkthrough of it. So if you want some more information, please come to the meeting. Um, it, we're we're going to be, again, wanting everybody plugged into a group w- Believe me, this is a thumbnail sketch of what you're going to be hearing. We're going to be really talking, amping this up in September. Uh, but we want everybody plugged in, so we're going to have groups. We're going to try to offer groups whenever we can. Sunday morning, uh, Sunday night, uh, home, wherever. Wherever it is, we want, everybody, we want people to be plugged into a group. So uh, if, that, if, if something like that grab a hold of you today, you feel like that you've been uh, being led by the Spirit to do something, uh, to serve in a different capacity, uh, come tonight and uh, just hear about it. You don't have to make a commitment or anything. Just come and listen. That's at 6 o'clock tonight at this campus. Uh, we, last week, we kicked off a series called What If? And CJ, our, our Adrian campus pastor, came and shared, and he told me he went over a little bit in this service, so apparently you guys have not been living right. And he had to go over a little bit with you. But uh, he, he um, sh- uh, kicked off this series called What If? And enabled me to go. I had a family reunion last week so, in West Virginia. So it enabled me to go and kind of be with my family. I have a, just real quick, I have a grandfather that's going to be 93 in September. And so <clears throat> every year we go for our reunion, we go to the church kind of where everybody kind of come from. And there's like this... Uh, pavilion that they have, and it's pretty, you know, we, what we all get together. Well, this year was kind of special because they wanted to celebrate, uh, someone wanted to celebrate his birthday kind of early since we were all there. A lot of us live out of state and everything. So we all stuck around for this birthday, and they wanted us to go to church with them, uh, with everybody on Sunday, on Sunday morning, and so, which many of us did, and so it was just kind of cool, but I forgot the heritage I came from. And so when we were at the church service, I was sitting behind one of my uncles, and he let out a war hoop at one point and scared the behoodles out of me. And so I th- you know, thought to myself, I've been living up north way too long, you know. And so uh, it kind of got me back. Into- How many of you ever did come from kind of a little bit more of a, not, I don't want to say a wild background, but just where people would get blessed with the Spirit and just yell out? Anybody? Ah, so you got, well, a couple, yeah. Um, anyhow, it was just, uh, it was really cool. Uh, what was even more, more interesting to me was, which I shared with another relative, uh, this church, you know, that we went to is, kind of, like I said, a lot of my family have, have gone to, and since I was a kid, I knew some of the people. And uh, I was telling one of my other family members about 
kind of getting scared, forgetting my heritage, told him that story. And I said, but what was really interesting is Bob over here that's been going to this church forever continues to sleep through all the services. And I'm like, how in the world can this guy sleep through that? <laughs> I was on pins and needles after that. So anyhow, uh, just let you uh, enjoy a little snippet of my life there. So anyhow, uh, I was able to do that, which was really fun. CJ kicked off the What If series. Last week, uh, and we're building this off of Micah. Uh, Micah's chapter 6. If you want to turn there with me, Micah was a minor prophet. Uh, it's, he's kind of hard to find within the Bible, but if you go to the New Testament like Matthew and just kind of flip back very carefully, you're going to run into Micah. Uh, seven chapters. I would invite you to really spend some time in this, uh, on this chapter as, um, or in this, in this, uh, his reading. I mean, it's a quick read. You could do it, uh, in less than an hour, but, um, uh, there's some issues taking place and God is calling Israel back. Israel has been, uh, rebellious. They have, they have strayed away. And essentially God's message to the nation of Israel was to ask them this question. What have I done wrong? Well, how have I offended you? What is it that I've done that you've turned that you so that you want to turn your back on me? And so, as he addresses that question, uh, they start realizing how much they've strayed from God, and they realize that they're out of contact, or out of community, or out of relationship, or fellowship, however you want to word it, with God. And so, they begin to ask the question: What is it that we need to do uh, to restore ourselves before God, to get back into our, you know, the act of worship that we once had? And they start listing things. And in chapter six, where we're at, they list. They say, you know, do, should we come with these big? grand sacrifices or and they list another one they said should we bring thousands of rams you know because that was the that was how they worshiped during uh this particular time in the old testament they sacrificed before before jesus christ being the ultimate sacrifice they would sacrifice uh pure and blameless uh um, animals to god and so um and so they asked the question should we bring thousands of rams before him and sacrifice these and then they ask a big question and this question is like the 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 big the 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 granddaddy of a question because they started picking up on some of the influences of the cultures around them some of the pagan cultures and what the pagan cultures would do they would sac- literally sacrifice the firstborn of their of their families they would take their their sons or their daughters whatever it was and they would sacrifice them to the gods thinking that that would appease their gods so that their gods would have favor upon them and Israel comes before God uh, the, the, the creator of this universe and says, what should we do? Offer up all these sacrifices? Should we offer you thousands of rams? And then they say, should we offer you our, you know, offer him our firstborn? What is it that we need to do? And M- the word comes back to Micah and Micah shares with them and he says this in my, in, uh, uh, chapter six, verse eight. He says, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Three things. To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly before humbly with your God. God's telling Micah, communicate this to them. These are the three things that I want. These are the three things that I've always wanted. I want them to, I want them to act justly, and I want them to love mercy, and I want them to walk humbly with me. And today we're going to skip over to the humble part, uh, because we have a special treat next week for you. But uh, we're going to skip over the mercy part uh, and, and go to the humble part. And so the question is this, what does it look like to be humble? What does it look like to, to walk humbly with, with God? You know, authentic spiritual relationship, or authentic spirituality. Now, follow me. Authentic spirituality can never be reduced down to just how we treat people. I think it sets it up right here. 
acting uh, justly, loving mercy really affect other people. It affects our neighbors. But that's not the end of it. Because there's, uh, there's people, you may be sitting here this morning, you may, be, you may not believe in God. But, you're at, but you can love other people. You can be really heavily involved in social justice, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're walking humbly with God. So um, authentic spiritual, uh, spirituality can never be redu- reduced down to just how we treat people. It's critically important, but it can't be reduced down because, uh, as I said, there's a lot of people that may be an atheist or an agnostic, and they are very involved in social justice, but they have no interest whatsoever in walking humble with God. So what does it mean? What does it mean to walk humbly with God? What does it mean to have a, uh, you know, a life that is truly connected with God where we are walking in humility with Him? Well, let's answer that question question by three things that it is not. Three things, that, if you're taking notes here, three things that humility is not. It's not, and, and when I list these things, guys, these are things that can go either way. But it's not just someone who always puts themselves down. Now, a person that always puts themselves down could be humble, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are humble. It, that can mean you have a low self-esteem. So it really doesn't mean just that, you know, that they're fixated on their shortcomings. Because what happens is you can almost become fixated more on yourself than being humble before God. And so, so again, you may be humble and you may have a proper perspective of yourself. Or otherwise, you may just have a low self-esteem. So be, be living in humility and being humble for God doesn't always mean that you're just putting yourself down. It, do, it, not, only, it not only means too, it doesn't just mean that you're refusing to accept a compliment either. Uh, you know, some people say, well, you know, you give someone a compliment, they say, well, I'm just doing it for God. That's, that's a good response, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a humble person. Again, a fine line here. I'm not saying, you know, that it's not. I'm simply saying that we need to be very careful and have, I want to I wanna point out uh, a different perspective of what humble, what humble is. And so uh, it doesn't mean that you just refuse a compliment either. Or the last one is this, where you see yourself as a worm or a wretch. Some of you may have grown up in a church where as soon as you walk through the door, it just seems like someone's taking the Bible and slapping you across the face and saying, you're worth nothing, you're a nobody, you're a worm, you're a wretch. And, and, and some of you, I've heard people say that to me where they come and say, man, I love it when you really get on to us, when you preach and really get on to us and you convict us. And it's like, I'm not doing no convicting. It's, I don't know what's going on in your life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that does the convicting. And so just because you see yourself as a worm or a wretch, you may be humble, But on the flip side of the coin, just because you do doesn't mean that you necessarily are humble or what that means. Because listen to what God says about us. Listen to what God says in his word about us. He says this, we we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. The word of God teaches us that. The word of God also says this, uh, that we are his workmanship. So God, you know, God paid a huge price for us. He redeemed us. And um, again, just because you view yourself as a worm or wretch doesn't necessarily mean that you're humble. So what is humble? Or humility. What does it mean to be humble? What does it mean uh, to to act out of humility? Well, it's this. This is how. This is one definition we're going to use. One perspective, and that's this: seeing myself in a proper perspective, relative to God, or relative to God. Seeing myself in proper perspective, relative to God. Now, to set that up, I'm going to share with you a story. Some of you know Louis Giglio. Louis Giglio is a, a really incredible, I think, a Christian author, a Christian musician, artist, as such. Uh, very, just very talented individual. Louis Giglio also loves to run. Uh, to, to stay in shape. And he tells a story in one of his books that he was in New York City and he was wanting to go out for a run that morning. So he gears up and gets out and starts running. And as he's running, it begins to rain. 
So as it's raining, or it begins to rain, he sees an overpass or an underpass. I can't remember. I guess it's where you're at in relation to. Uh, but he sees this underpass, and so he runs to it. And as he's running underneath of it, the, the, the pass kind of takes off to the left, and he continues to go straight. Now, unbeknownst to him, he jumps this concrete barrier, didn't really think much about it, and he's running, and he's very caught up in his thoughts. He's very distracted, caught up in his thoughts and things that he's thinking about, and he's just running. He's running, and, he, and uh, a couple cars drove by, and some of the uh, drivers of the cars would lean out and yell at him, but this is New York City, right? That's what everybody does. And so he didn't really think much of it, and he really couldn't hear him because it was raining. It wasn't until a police car came up behind him and gave one of those blurps from the siren that that caught his attention, and he looks back and he sees the officer telling him to get off the road. And what he come to realize was that where he was running was on a six, was the FDR, a six-lane highway that runs down through Manhattan that was full of traffic. Okay, now, here's the, here, and we're not talking like 223 out here, guys. We're talking about New York City that's got tons of traffic, and this guy is absolutely oblivious to it. Listen to what he says, and, and this is all relates to us being humble. He, he says this, how can you run down the middle of a New York freeway and not know it? But he didn't. He was oblivious to it. How can you run down a New York freeway and not know it? And he says this, I think the same way you can live your entire life completely oblivious to the grand story of the creator of this universe that is unfolding all around us. He says the same way you spend your days making so much of someone as small and transient as you and me and so little of someone as glorious as the eternal God. And basically, this is what he's saying, guys. And some of us are, are, are in this mode right here, right now, today. We walk in the doors and we're completely oblivious that we are not who God wants us to be. We think we have it all together. We think that we are humble individuals. We think we truly do act out of mercy or act just and love mercy. And we are walking humbly before God. And some of us are sitting this morning just like Louis Giglio was, that he's out running on a six-lane expressway in New York City, completely oblivious to all of the traffic around him. And today, God is telling us this today. Hear me. Hear me. And so this morning, guys... I want you just to tune in because you may be one of the individuals sitting here this morning where God is saying, you may think you're humble, but you're not. Because you really believe that the center of this universe revolves around you. That you are right smack dab in the middle of this incredible story that I'm creating. And you're not. I remember when I moved here in 2006, my wife and I had spent X amount of years, th- at that time, what, 12, 13 or so years trying to get pregnant. Couldn't figure out why. Went to every doctor. I've told you this story before. Went to every doctor, couldn't figure out. Nothing was, like, wrong, per se. I, you know, I thought it was just God trying to protect the rest of you guys for me not being able to multiply. So, but anyhow, we went. And I remember, I remember Beth Abbott sitting here today. And she came to us and she said to me, would you consider fostering to adopt? Beth was working for an agency that, that did foster to adopting. And you know what I told Beth? No way. I would never consider fostering. You know why? Because I'm not in control. What if, what if we get kids? Well, number one, we can't choose the kids that we get, right? Fostering to adopt, they just place the kids in your home. What if they place kids in your home that you really don't like? What if, they, what if we get these kids and we really do like them and we live with them for six or so months and guess what happens? We get attached to them 
And then something happens and they get ripped out of our homes, out of our home. So you know what, Beth? No way. There's no way I would ever consider that. Fast forward a few years, just a couple years ago, some, it was at Christmas time. We were taking down our decorations, my wife and I. And God spoke to me so clearly and he said, you know what? What are you doing? Gail, what are you doing? You think that you're at the center of this picture, but you're really not. You play a role in this picture. You're one of the characters in this picture. You're one of the support characters that's in this picture. But let me tell you something, Gail. You're not at the center of this picture. And he began to lay on my heart about this whole concept of fostering and adopting, which we did. And God placed three incredible kids within our lives. But it was a control issue. Let me tell you something, guys. If you ever want to know if you've got a control issue, adopt three kids that's already of age and see how you work it out. Because I want to tell you something. You begin to learn how spiritually, emotionally immature you really are. And it's been a spiritual journey for me. And I say that to you to say this. I was in complete oblivion about how I wasn't humble and how I thought I was at the center of this big picture. Today, guys, the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you right now saying, you know what? You're walking around here as acting as if this world evolves around you, and it doesn't. And you're missing out on this incredible story that I'm creating around you. I'm in charge. I'm seated on the throne. I'm the person that needs to be in control of your life. Now give it up. And so, as, as, you know, as we look at that, that's what it means to be humble. Humility is, is the right sizing of ourselves when we remember the bigness of God. It's, 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 it's discovering who, it's beginning to understand who we really are, how small we really are in the bigness of God, and that in this grand picture, we are just a supporting character. And sometimes it's more easy to do, uh, to, to, um, uh, love or act, or act justly and love mercy, but it's a little bit different, harder, more complicated to become humble. And so the issue is this, you know, and this is, I mean, this is what happens to us as humans. We're human. This is the struggle. This is the spiritual journey that we're on. And this is something that Jesus was faced uh, uh, time and time again through questioning of his disciples. And in chapter 18, two of his disciples come to him and say this, who is the greatest in your kingdom? Who is the greatest? And I remember, if, if, if you remember that whole, you know, another story where James and John, the mother of those two guys, come to him, and you remember the request that they gave Jesus? They said, hey, she says this, hey, when you go to heaven, when, when James and John come, you know, finally die and come to be in heaven, can they sit on your right and your left side? Does that sound pretty audacious? Hey, Jesus, can my two sons sit at your right side and your left side? Talk about someone who has things out of perspective. But in this particular context, two of the, or a couple of disciples come and they said, who's the greatest kingdom of heaven? Jesus, out of his incredible godness, pulls a child to, the, to, uh, pulls a child to him and it says this in chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. Unless you, become like this little ch- unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. Think about it for a second. Jesus is saying this, I don't want you to become, I don't want you to become self-centered or childish and, childish and demanding. I want you to become like a child that is totally reliant upon someone else. 
Many of you know that we, um, uh, God, out of his incredible goodness and sense of humor, blessed us uh, with, with a child of our own. And so at the age of 43, my wife and I give birth to, or she gave birth to a child, and I just kind of stood there and watched. But anyhow, um, as, as we did, you know, as, as I look at Jaden, I'm, you know, I'm holding, and by the way, I'm going to use, I love using my kids as an example, because I've sat there a lot of sermons where everybody else used their kids, so you've got to endure mine, okay? So um, I, I, I sit there and hold Jaden. And today he's four months old. And I look at him. And I see such innocence. Innocence that I'm going to screw up probably at some point in time. But I see this, this child with incredible innocence. And totally reliant upon us. I mean, other, our, our other kids are a little bit older and, and they're reliant upon us. But, you know, at some point they could almost fend for themselves if something happened. But I see this infant that's four months old that has absolutely no other choice, totally reliant upon its parents for security, for love, for food. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is telling us. But we get it so warped. Jesus, what are you talking about? You need to understand my likes. You need to understand my dislikes. You need to understand the goals and the dreams and the visions that I have for my life. And you need to get it straight. You need to help me accomplish the things that I want to do. I, I, I. You see, guys, that's not being humble. Humble is living as a child completely dependent upon him. And it's recognizing that he is at the center of this story and my part, which is tremendously tremendously valued, important, is not the main character. And when I say my point, I'm talking for you too. You are not the main character. We are not the main character of this. Childlikeness is a humility, and a humility is living in the awareness that it's not all about me. Some of you have read the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Remember when you went through that campaign a while back? The Purpose Driven Life. Crowd participation time. Verbalize this. What are the first four words of that book? It's not about me. Oh, that just gets down and blesses us, doesn't it? We agree with that. But we really don't live it out. We, we struggle with it. And I get that. We struggle with it. I get it. First Peter kind of says the same thing about walking humbly with God, and it's not about me person. First Peter 5.5 5 says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You have to choose to allow it to happen to you. Humility, humility it happens to us. Like the, How many of you ever heard of the author C.S. Lewis? An incredible Christian author. Very deep, very profound. He wrote some children's books. One of them is called The Don Treader. And it's about Eustace and Aslan. And this whole thing is about... How many of you heard of that, this whole story? It's an incredible story about, about you know, uh, symbolizing Christ and us. But in this story, Eustace is a kid. And he wanders off, just like every other kids do. They're out playing. They wander off. And as he's wandering off, there's this storm comes uh, comes upon him he finds this cave he goes into this cave and as he's in this cave he he um, sees this incredibly huge mound of treasure we're talking coin we're just a huge treasure you know like you see in them uh, kind of like the cartoons movie stuff was huge well what it is it's a dragon's hoard it's a dragon's lair 
And so he goes in and he's so thrilled because this is all mine. I found this. This is awesome. This is all mine. And he gets so thrilled that he climbs up on top of it and he falls asleep. And as he falls asleep, he awakes as a dragon. And at first, it's really cool. At first, man, he's a dragon. That's pretty cool. But then it starts to scare him. Then it starts to terrify him. Then he starts to really see how hideous he is as a dragon. And he doesn't like it. And he begins to try to shed his skin. He doesn't want to be a dragon anymore. So he he tries to shed his skin. And nothing he tries works. He can't shed the dragoness. Then Aslan, the great lion of Narnia, appears. And he says this. You must allow me to do it. And, And as Aslan takes one of his great razor-sharp claws and starts ripping Eustace's dragon skin off. Eustace says this, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone straight to my heart. And after Aslan is all done ripping all this... This guy's dragging us off of him, and he starts submersing him into the pool. Eustace once again becomes the boy that he really was meant to be, and Aslan dresses him in Eustace's clothes, and he clothes him for a child, not a dragon. And from that point on, Eustace begins to live as a new boy. What an incredible story of how God works within our lives, how Jesus comes in and takes that stuff from us and just rips the dragonness off us. But the problem is this, guys. A lot of times we have it all figured out. You've got it all figured out. You, you, you've got it, your life is figured out. You've got it. You've got it down to a T. The only problem is that addiction that you thought you were over raises its ugly head again. That problem that you thought you had resolved raises its head again and becomes an issue once again in your life. And so you lose a job, something draws your awareness, something uh, begins to, real, you, you, it all begins to crumble around you, you lose your job or whatever, there's a relationship, a problem, you can't, whatever it may be, and you begin to realize that you don't have it all figured out. So we try to fix it, we try to cover it up, we try to run away, we try to do more, we try to do less, we try to act tough, we try to keep it to ourselves, we try to do whatever it takes to scrap up any, any amount of power that we can, but the problem is it doesn't work. Then Jesus comes along and says, are you done? Are you done? Because I'm ready to help you. I'm right here and I'm ready to help you. And, it's, you know, and he says, basically, it's, it's not working, is it? And hopefully we have the awareness to say, no, it's not, Jesus. No, it's not. And I can't do it any longer. And so he lifts our head. He looks at us. He starts to peel away our dragonness. And, 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 and guys, there are times, and this is probably why we don't allow Jesus to do this to us a lot, is because when he starts ripping away that stuff that's so familiar to us, it hurts. Because we have to acknowledge that we are not at the center of this universe or the, this grand picture. And humility is harder than justice and mercy, I think. Because if you think about it, what's easier? To hand out a sandwich to a homeless? To give you know, fresh drinking water to buy fair trade coffee to sponsor a child through Compassion International or whatever it may be. Whatever the cause is for AIDS or uh, autism or uh, you know, what, I mean, you name it, good, good great things, whatever it is, it's so much easier to take out our wallets, to write a check, to do whatever, and participate that way, to, be, to have justice and mercy, but it's a different thing when Christ wants to come along and say, you know what, I want you to become humble. I want you to rely totally upon me. It's not 
just about you. That's much more difficult. And some of us will say this. Some of us will say, you know what? I'm only human. I'm only human. Nobody's perfect. And guys, you know that I've preached this time and time again. I understand this concept too. I don't think we're ever going to be perfect until we stand face to face with Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something. Until we stand face to face with Jesus Christ, Jesus is wanting to reside within our hearts, to sit on the throne of your lives, and enable you to become the person that he has created you to be. The best version of you, which is what we're going to be talking about in October with the me I want to be. But he wants to rip away the dragonness. He wants you to admit that you can't do it, that you need him, that you have to rely upon him and to walk humbly with him. That means that we are invited into what he's doing. We are invited to actively engage with him, to confidently do what he calls us to do and to live with him and, or constantly calls us to do with him and for him. And that is exactly what Aslan did with Eustace. And that is what Christ wants to do with us if he hasn't already. And you may be sitting in here this morning and today is the day that the Holy Spirit is saying it's time to get real. This is not about you. You're not happy. You're miserable. You're living a life that is, uh, your spiritual walk is, is complacent. It's, it's stale. It's counterfeit. Because you're trying to control it. So how do we do it? So what does that look like? What do we do now? Well, it's to become the part of who, it's, it, it has to become part of who we are. He longs to free us from us so that we can serve others and prefer others. May, you know, that means that we have a stronger desire to do God's will than ours. It means that we are looking for where he is moving. Like Henry Blackaby says, God is always moving. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you say, well, no, he's not because we've done this, 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 blah, 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 blah. God is always moving. The question is, will you allow yourself to move with God and gravitate towards God? It means that we trust the Holy Spirit power rather than our own. It means we do the little things. It means that we become authentic about how weak we are, but we stand in his strength. It means that we own up when we're wrong. It means that we put away our spiritual elitism. It means that we don't take, we don't care who gets the credit when something done, when something good is done. And all that we can do is be placed at the feet of Christ and move with Him. You see, that's what we're really talking about when we talk about authentically following Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus, that's what it is. And here's what Jesus said about it was all about. He said, a new commandment I give to you in John 13, 34, 35. I, there's a new commandment I give to you, and that is this, to love one another. Even as I have loved you, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. Guys, let me ask you this question. What if today's the day, as the Holy Spirit presses upon your heart, what if today's the day you say, I'm done living out of my own strength? I'm done thinking that this world revolves around me. I'm done putting on the mask saying that everything is okay and I'm not okay. You know what, guys? There are some of you sitting here this morning that you are living in that, that, that flow of, of being surrendered to the Spirit. And I, just, I, I celebrate with you and I ask that in your hearts right now that you pray. Because there are... I, I'm, the Spirit wants to convict this morning. And he wants us to humble ourselves and to surrender to him. What if today is the day that we took this serious? What if today is the day that we said, the word of God is going to rule over my life? And if it means that I've got to do something difficult, I will do it. 
What if today's the day that we become humble and we receive this epiphany from God that says, I'm not okay? What if today's the day you reach out to someone that you need to reconcile with and you start believing in that and you reach out to them and make that happen? What if today's the day you make a phone call to someone that you have conflict with, whether it be a coworker, whether it be a friend, whether it be a family member that you haven't talked to? And today's the day you pick up the phone and you say, you know what, I believe the word of God tells me to do this and I believe in reconciliation. I'm going to call this person. What if today's the day you invited the enemy to lunch? And I'm not talking about Satan. I'm talking about that person that you're in conflict with. What if today's the day you swallow your pride or you're, that, you're, that uh, um, you become convinced, you become inconvenienced and walk where God walks with the people that his heart is broken for. What if today's the day Element Church says, we are going to take this serious and we are going to move forward and we are going to become the church that, like Eustace, when Jesus peeled the skin off Eustace, Jesus peels the skin off Element Church and we become the church that Jesus Christ wants us to become because each and every one of us is saying, I will live my life in humility before God. I will not only love justice or act justly and love mercy, but I will walk humbly before God. What if today would be that day? What would happen? What would happen? Guys, I hope and pray that if the Spirit is pressed upon yours, that this might be a day where you come come forward and pray. You don't necessarily have to come uh, come forward and pray, but I want you to know that this is a time where if that's what you want to do, it is open to do that. And we would love to pray with you because today's the day. We're going to close with a song. If you feel the Spirit moving you, please come forward. Please pray. Do whatever the Spirit is leading you to do. But I hope today is the day you take this, you take this seriously and say, I am going to be the person that God has called me to be.